A first look at the latest best places to work in the federal government list is out today. The Partnership for Public Service and the Boston Consulting Group unveiled the top 10 large, midsize and small agencies for the 2022 annual rankings. The number one spot for large agencies probably won't come as a surprise, but many agencies are continuing to see a decline in their overall employee engagement and satisfaction scores. Here with more, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Drew, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So who were some of the top agencies on the lists? So for large agencies, as you said, it's not a big surprise. NASA is number one again. This is the 11th year in a row that they've taken that gold trophy spot. Following them, we have the Department of Health and Human Services, the Intelligence Community, and the Department of Commerce. So a lot of these top 10 agencies, at least for the large agencies, are actually the same as they were for 2021. So there's not much movement within the actual rankings, despite some of those scores, as you said, are on the decline. For mid-sized agencies, picture is relatively similar. The Government Accountability Office and the National Science Foundation, they maintained the top two spots. And one agency that actually fell out of the top 10 was the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Then looking for small agencies, the Congressional Budget Office, they're actually new to the rankings this year, and they took the number one spot for small agencies. So where was there some movement specifically, which agencies improved significantly since last year's rankings? One agency that did see a really noticeable improvement from 2021 was the Small Business Administration. They did really well this year. They increased their employee engagement and satisfaction score by 5.9 points. They That comes only second to the Office of General Counsel, which is an agency subcomponent of the Education Department. But the SBA was, you know, that that score is very significant for them. They also moved up 10 slots in the rankings. They were in 16th place last year, and now they're up to sixth place for 2022. Other than them, there's also the Department of Energy. They moved from 14th place last year up to the top 10 in eighth spot this year. And their index score for employee engagement and satisfaction was one of those few that was increasing as well. In terms of large agencies, the departments of Air Force and Transportation, they were the only two out of all of those top 10 to increase their scores. So we have been seeing this trend of, you know, despite some of these agencies maintaining their role in the top 10 rankings, they are on a bit of a decline for engagement and satisfaction. And again, a lot of this information comes from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. Yeah, which agencies in the top 10 had the biggest drops in satisfaction scores? Right. So on the other end of this, there are some agencies that didn't do so well. So even though the lists are pretty similar from 2021, that's the bigger takeaway here. There's these scores on a downward trend. So, for example, you know, we talked about closer to the top that NASA is ranked number one for large agencies, but their score is continuing on this kind of downward trend. So they had an 84.3 satisfaction score for 2022, and that's a slight drop from 85.1 in 2021 and then 86.6 the year before. And out of those top 10 large agencies, The Department of Commerce ranked fourth overall. They had the steepest drop in their score, a more than three-point decline. So 
the, you know, there is this this trend for a lot of these agencies just kind of going down. Things are still very much in flux post-pandemic when it's related to the federal workforce. What might be some of those reasons behind these declining scores from last year? Eric, I do think you are alluding to something that is pretty significant here for a lot of federal employees. That is a factor that can be really influential. This time of flux for federal agencies, there's a lot of questions about return to office, about hybrid work, about the future of work. And are employees going to be able to continue teleworking and working remotely, or are they going to be asked to come come back into the office more often? That's something that is still a big question. And I think that, you know, may be a factor that's influencing some of these declining scores. But it is hard to pinpoint at the same time. There's other things that can go into this as well. The Office of Personnel Management, which manages the FEVS survey every year, They said that some other factors that can really influence how employees feel in terms of engagement and satisfaction can be how they perceive their immediate supervisors. These are the people that they interact with every day on the management level. Also, how they see recognition of a job well done are their managers recognizing when they are doing well. And Also, the feeling of, you know, is your agency really listening to you and making changes based on your input? Those are a couple of questions from FEBS that really do drive some of these differences in engagement and satisfaction. We're speaking with Federal News Network reporter Drew Friedman. So how does the partnership calculate these scores? What's their methodology? So it is based on the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, as I said, but it's not just taking the overall FEBS score For each agency, they actually look at just a few specific questions from FEBS every year. The first is, I recommend my organization as a good place to work. How satisfied are you with your job? And then how satisfied are you with your organization? So basically, the partnership takes those three questions, uses some analysis on the back end, on their end to determine okay, how do you, how does each agency compare to one another? And that's how they determine the rankings and create their own sort of engagement and satisfaction score for every agency. What are you hearing from federal leaders who are analyzing this list and what are their most important takeaways? So something that is pretty interesting is, you know, several chief human capital officers from NASA over the years have said that it's not You know, they are the top spot. They're the number one spot yet again, but it's not always about how they rank within the best places to work list from the partnership. It's more about looking at internal improvements. That's really the key takeaway here. It's looking at how does your individual score for engagement and satisfaction really change over the years. So NASA, more than a decade ago, their engagement and satisfaction scores were low. They weren't where they are now. And that's something where these Chicos over time, several of them have kind of taken different approaches to pinpointing areas of FEVs where maybe employees were feeling less satisfied or the scores were a little bit worse, and then trying to make improvements around that. Obviously, in that case, they've seen it pay off. So that's kind of NASA's take and what they recommend to other agencies who might be looking to improve in the rankings. All right. And this was just a first look. When can we expect more details from the partnership uh, as far as the analysis of this list goes? Right. So this is just a top 10 for each category. The full list and 
a lot more context from the partnership, a lot more analysis from them will come out on April 12th. All right. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. I'm sure we'll be talking with you again once we do get the full list. You can find her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Drew, thanks a lot. Thanks, Eric. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in. And she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of looking life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in looking life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? 
so if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sisulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing 
was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort of I, the I way that I kind of see all of that. That's you know? brilliant. <laughs> and um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about traveling, getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.